Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer, This might be your new favorite. They're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants. Want extra cash for vacation or to buy something you've always wanted? Transfer your auto loan to Pathways Financial Credit Union and we'll give you 1% cash back up to $1,000. And you can enjoy no payments for three months. Visit a convenient Central Ohio location and let us take care of your auto loan and provide extra cash. Check us out at PathwaysCU.com. Offer of credit subject to credit approval. Loan interest will continue to accrue during the first three months of no payments. Pathways is federally insured by the NCUA. Welcome, everyone, to episode 131 of the NBA Podcast. We are a few days into the 2018 NBA playoffs, so we're going to discuss some early takeaways from all series game ones and then a couple game twos as well. Before we get underway, wanted to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five star reviews. We'd love any feedback. Are being hosted now on the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, so check them out on Twitter at Almighty Casts. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, you goddamn jinx? <laughs> well, it's going well because, like, I mean, my jinx worked first of all. Yeah, uh, first it sure and foremost. did. And like, like I told you the last time around, I didn't really personally believe that Philly would sweep, so. So far, I'm right, and I'm enjoying the, the, the jinx, and now... Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now that I just saw, before we start recording, uh... Brian Windhorst talk about Kawhi Leonard and LeBron <laughs> yeah. James joining the Sixers. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that's going to happen because God let me it, see if Martin. I can jinx that too. <laughs> I mean, I I don't think that's going to happen. I'm I'm going to not go out on a limb and say Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James <laughs> are both not going to be Sixers next year. But of course they aren't. But I'm yeah. going to predict it anyway. Just right. so great. Yeah. yeah, awesome. So yeah, let's start. I guess with Sixers Heat since that's one of the two series with. Uh, two games in, and then we'll go to Warriors Spurs, and then we'll just work our way down the rest of the game once. Uh, right, but but before we do, Brian, just oh, a yeah. quick yeah, just a quick tech technical note. Um, two notes for you out there. We've uh, discovered that the Podcast Addict app on Android has apparently uh, had two versions of our podcast up. One was had which has not been updated for the past six months. So if you're listening to this, obviously you found the right feed. But if you know, you know, some of your friends were listening to this podcast or whatever, and, you know, you didn't know what's up, just tell them that the feed has been a little bit weird. We FanRack, when we were associated with FanRack, made a switch to a different host and it apparently mucked things up a little bit. And second of all, we are we're trying a new thing here by just turning up the volume a little bit. So 
because our logic was that it's easier to turn things down than it is to keep turning up on your phone because there's a max volume and instead of being too quiet, being too loud is a little bit more easy to handle. So if you are listening to us now and you think, oh, you're coming in loud, sorry about that. It's just a, a little thing that we uh, are trying to avoid. We don't want to be too quiet. Yeah, and if the volume is too loud for you, hit us up on Twitter at the NBA Pod. Let us know, and we'll continue to tinker with that. Yep. So, so more. Let's go into the Sixers Heat series. Oh yeah. Basically, how we're gonna roll is I'll give the Cliff Notes version of what happened in each series so far, and then we'll discuss our big takeaways, what to look for moving forward. So, game one, close in the first half. The Heat take a four point lead in the halftime. Uh, Brett Brown inserts Ersan Ilyasova in his starting lineup in place of Amir Johnson in the second half. The Sixers explode offensively, finish the game 18 of 28 from three-point range, win by 27. The Heat, uh, you figured going into game two, the Heat figured they were going to stick with Ilyasova in the starting lineup. They did. So the Sixers looked good in the first quarter and then just like forgot how to play basketball in the second yeah. quarter. Just absolute <laughs> atrocious basketball from them. Uh, meanwhile, Dwayne Wade hopped into the hot tub time machine, came out 10 years younger, finished with 28 points, seven rebounds, three assists, two steals. Shout out to our man, Jason Pat on Twitter. He, uh, he used to write for a fan rag. He's now up for a fan sided in the step back in the third quarter. Uh, the Sixers started to come back a little bit in the fourth quarter. They cut it to two. But in the third quarter, he said, this feels like a game where the Sixers get close and then D-Wade just rips their hearts out. Lo and behold, they cut it to two. Dwayne Wade comes up with steel, pushes it to four, hits a good assist, pushes it to six, and the Sixers never got close again. So, Mort, uh, what are your big takeaways from the first two games of the series, and what are you expecting moving forward, especially since you so wisely predicted a Sixers sweep? (laughs) Um, well, first and foremost, I'm kind of dreading, you know, theoretically, where you would have been if you had not signed Marco Bellinelli and Ersan Ilyasova. Yeah. Look, Marco Bellinelli at this point is averaging 20.5 points, Ersan Ilyasova 15.5 and 12.5 boards. I mean, that kind of help coming from, I don't know if you signed them to a minimum deal. Mm-hmm. I think so, because yep. they were way from Atlanta. Yep. I mean, that's just that's just two wonderful pickups that are playing crucial crucial uh basketball right now in terms of like uh, what they mean to the team Mm -hmm. and yeah i'm just dreading the thought of where you guys would have been without them oh they'd be down to zero i kind of i kind of agree with you i i think philly would be really really bad there is no bench to speak of without them Mm -hmm. with Ilyasova moving into the starting lineup i was kind of hoping that rashawn holmes would get a little bit more run Mm-hmm. off the bench and he hasn't so that's an adjustment i want to see for game three but overall even though the sixers just kind of mucked it up in game two i really like where they're at they're so talented i mean they they compared to miami they're just head head and shoulders above in terms of talent it's just about cohesiveness it's about not starting to look like a g-league team in the, <laughs> right. final, in the final quarter yeah um i'm not really sure what's happening there and Ben Simmons, I mean, I'm not really sure what you can say at this point. I mean, 20 and a half points, 11 assists, 9 boards, and he's actually begun hitting his free throws at a 
more respectable rate mm-hmm. and, and high volume, that's yeah. uh, that's intriguing. So I'm still on the Sixers wagon for this one, legitimately, not just to troll you. <laughs> Good. Um, here's where I will troll you. Troll you. This is going to be a gentleman sweep. They're not going to lose a, another oh, game. God damn obviously. it. <laughs> because now, now I predicted five, even though, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, to, to your point about Ben Simmons, I mean, he's been the Sixers' best player by far throughout the series. I, unreal what he's doing so far. Um, I, I mean, it felt like the Sixers in Game 2 were just expecting to blow Miami off the floor. Like, yeah. they got a bunch of easy baskets early, and then they started settling for three-pointers and figured they just knock them down. But they were, like, really rushing them, and Miami played much better defense. They fought through screens a lot more. Um, and, like, I hate the cliche, but I really think it held true here. And even Brett Brown said it. Uh, it just felt like Miami out the Sixers. Like, the Sixers yeah. went to, you know, they just expected things to go as easily as it went on Saturday. And then when shots weren't falling, they kept settling. That Like, Ben Simmons was the only one really forcing the action to the basket. Dario did a little bit as well, but, like, it, it just was not cohesive offense and then there are a lot of defensive breakdowns too i mean Dwayne wade just torched him like you know i don't think Dwayne wade's gonna have another 28 point game in this series but this is what made me scared of miami going in it's like they have these random dudes who like Dwayne wade wayne ellington is long overdue for an eruption you know kelly olenic had a monster game one he had like 14 points in the first half um i mean i think the series it really comes down to now that we're heading to Miami in Game Three. We don't know if Joel Embiid is going to come back. He twi- or he went on Instagram after Game Two and posted something that said "fucking sick and tired of being babied," which wasn't exactly <laughs> not exactly what I wanted to see after already dealing with a gut punch of a playoff loss. So, Mort, how do you think Embiid, if and when he comes back, changes the complexion of this series? Oh, he changed it. I mean, offensively, defensively. I, I think also in terms of yeah, the, the mental aspect of the game, having him on the court, I think just raises everyone's interest level. Mm. Um, you, you know, because I agree with you. In game two, Philly just kind of expected things to go their way. Mm. But when Embiid comes back, like he's now been on the bench for two games, at least in playoff, uh, you know, relation. So. He's he's been looking at those two two games and going, you know what? I'm not seeing the intensity. I'm not mm-hmm. seeing the aggressiveness. I'm not seeing these things. So when he comes to the court, he's gonna provide that, and the whole team is gonna be, oh, oh, that's what we were missing in game two or game three, depending <laughs> right. on, yeah, because yeah. I don't I don't expect Philly to just turn around in game three and and just automatically be able to say, oh, now we give a shit, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I don't think it happens that way. I think Miami is going to stay as physical as they were. And they have the... We we said it heading into this series. They have the Wings and James Johnson and Josh Josh Richardson and Justice Winslow to really give the Sixers problems. Like, they played tight on Ben Simmons last night. They didn't give him... You know, the first game they were playing off of him, they were daring him to shoot, basically. But that gives him the advantage. He can pick up ahead of the steam to the basket or you're giving him passing lanes. Game two, they didn't give that. Ben Simmons still played well, but it did muck up the Sixers' offense more. So I expect them to stay as physical as they are. But 
after the game, I think Saric and Brett Brown both said basically like, you know, Brett or Joel Embiid when you have him on the court, you you noticed in the second quarter when we couldn't get a bucket, that's when you can just throw it down to Embiid and have him make something happen. Mm. So like, right, you would avoid that. You know, I think Miami went on like a twenty to two run at one point. Like, having a guy like Embiid would change things. I think before we move on though, Hassan Whiteside more played oh. twelve minutes in game one, yeah. fifteen minutes in game two. I mean, Olenek, you know, to some extent, the lineup changes from Philly, like having an Ilyasova out there really negated Whiteside, which is what we alluded to heading into the series. But say Embiid's back in game three, do you think Whiteside is going to be able to negate him? Or is he just like checked out of the series already? No, I think that's rough saying that he's checked out. I, I just don't think he fits into this pace and space kind of era and Philly and Miami is you know kind of forced to trade three-point baskets and and forced to trade a lot of cuts and and movement and finesse plays and that's just not his style like if you looked at white size minutes this year like he played 20 25 minutes a game down from almost 33 last year mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's a coincidence yeah it is tough for to be a seven foot pivot player in today's league if you do not have the ability to step out and hit the three ball mm-hmm. um i mean what is he supposed to do I, just be I, <laughs> I mean right i mean i'm not sure how he figures into this lineup mm-hmm. i would i i think there is a role for him as you know a sort of rich man's tyson chandler like mm-hmm. the screen and roll guy just catching lobs yep but but I've also seen a, a trend with Miami all uh, throughout the course of the season with him just not getting the basketball honestly. Right. Like they swing it out on the perimeter. They prefer three point shots, and there are times when you know you can just make an extra pass, and he has a dunk, and that extra pass is not made. Mm-hmm. So I also think that that could potentially disengage him. But I'm not going to say that that's the case so far, or or you know permanently at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Miami's sake, I kind of hope he comes back into the series and forces his way in there. Yeah. But I don't know. It just seems like he's being phased out because he just does not provide what Spo wants at this point. Yeah, I mean, the minutes have been an issue all year. He grumbled about it for most of the season and then really erupted after that Brooklyn loss late in the year. And we alluded to this coming into the series that, like, the, the battle of Whiteside versus himself was going to be a big factor. So far, the the downside of that we've seen in the first two games. I mean, he played better in game two, even though he still didn't play that much. But, like, the when the Sixers made that switch to Ilyasova in the second half of game one, I mean, go to any Philly beat reporter. Kyle Newback had it. Uh, Rich Hoffman of The Athletic had it. There's just clip, like a, a 30-second clip of Whiteside just not giving a shit on defense. And, like, you know, this, the Heat started the half... Goran Dragic hit a three. They're up seven. The Sixers then went on like a twenty to two or twenty three to three run, and it was keyed exclusively, at least at first, by Whiteside. Like he just had mm. three or four breakdowns in a row. So if Embiid comes back, they're gonna need him because I think Embiid would eat Kelly Olynyk's lunch. But I, ugh, I don't know. That's a. I mean, the Sixers really need Embiid back to force that issue because last night showed. What can happen without him? Right. And, 
and to your point about Whiteside and defense, that's been an issue for a while. I mean, mm-hmm. he's being touted as the great shot blocker, defender, rebounder, but thing is, I mean, he, he's he does not defend well in space, mm-hmm. and even when posted up against guys who can make a post move and who is has a little bit of finesse in the post, he's pretty frequently dumbfounded by the skills that he's up against. Like someone can give him a shoulder fake or a head fake, and he will bite. And yeah. it's he he's a weird player because he's built as something he's not and offensively where to his credit he's improved year after year after year i mean he was averaging almost 20 a game per 36 minutes this year uh that's that's become one of his strengths and that's not being utilized because the nba is moving away from that it has to be frustrating for him it also has to be frustrating for the heat knowing full well that they've invested this much money in him full knowing full well as well that he has an incredible talent because he is he's an incredible talent but you just can't utilize it, especially in the playoffs where every major weakness is being keyed in on by the opposition. Yeah, it's it's a very tough call. I mean, I'm just waiting for Philly to go harder at doing Wade. I was kind of surprised in game two that Philly didn't attack him more off the dribble because Wade is a horrible defender at this point. Mm-hmm. So I, I need to see Philly just kind of utilize that that gift that they have in, in Wade not being able to move his feet defensively. Yeah. Um, Mo Dockle had a really good piece today, where a video breakdown, where he, he called this basically a chess match, and he said Spo made the adjustments in Game 2. Now it's time to see what Brett Brown breaks out in Game 3, with or without Embiid. So mm. it's interesting. Game 3 is Thursday in Miami. I'm, I'm very nervous but excited to see what happens. Uh, let's move on, though, more to... <laughs> A series, I mean, I'd say really every one of these series so far is at least competitive, mm-hmm. except for Warriors-Spurs. Warriors-Spurs yeah. is over. Um, yep. You know, they had, LaMarcus Aldridge did not have a good game in game one. They lost by 21 points. LaMarcus Aldridge had a monster game in game two on Monday night. 34 points, 12 rebounds, 3 assists in 37 minutes. They lost by 15. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's as simple as Kawhi Leonard's not healthy. Sham Sharania of the uh, Yahoo Sports said he is not expected to return these playoffs. So, without him, they just don't have the firepower to keep up with Golden State. It's as simple as that. So, mm. I don't think there's that much to discuss about the series itself, more, but I know you have been itching to discuss this whole Kawhi situation in general. Uh now I think's a good time because there's been a lot. <laughs> there's been a lot of focus on the fact that he isn't even on the bench with yep. his team. Is is that a concern to you? Does that bother you? Yes. I, I mean, look. Regardless of what side of the fence you come down on in regards to Spurs versus uh, Kawhi, like mm-hmm. you know, you can support Kawhi for staying out and saying, "Oh, he's all about the you know getting healthy, and that's the smart thing to do. That's a smart play." I don't disagree with that. That's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. But I have a problem with him not being on the bench. Like, if he's injured, which he says he is, that's fine. I mean, mm-hmm. injuries happen all the time, but you can still sit on the bench. You can still be a moral center, and you can be a leader. I know that that's not in Kawhi's nature, but he has to show a little bit of goodwill just to... I don't know, get that contract he maybe wants, $200 million. I mean, for $200 million, even if I'm 
fighting with my front office, I'm still getting on that damn bench and supporting my teammates to show other teams who might be interested in me moving forward that, hey, I'm not disengaging myself from the team mm-hmm. or, or my teammates. And so I think what he's doing right now mm-hmm. is unselfish and selfish at the same time. It's unselfish because he's looking out for his career, which is like that's that cannot never be looked at as selfish. That's that's fine. But just being in New York, where I think he is right now, yep. Uh, I know that his doctors are there, but you you can't tell me that he couldn't be across the country. Like, is he getting treatment? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, okay. But you can't get treatment elsewhere. You can't fly the doctors out. <laughs> it, the whole situation. I mean, the whole year it's been really weird. But here's what gives me. You know, I, you you know, you guys all know who's listening. I've been on the this is nothing that 219 million dollars in the summer is not going to fix right popovich gave a quote after game two where he was talking about lamarcus aldridge and he said he can't quote or he quote can't imagine being more proud of a player quote than he is of aldridge and i'm reading this from mike finger of the san antonio express news who tweeted out last night um and then he praised aldridge for quote Fighting through adversity and being there for his teammates night after night after night. If that isn't a subtweet of Kawhi oh, Leonard, yeah. I don't know what is. No, so, no. So, you know, the, the the whole situation, again, it's been weird the whole season. It's very unspurs-like in general. But the fact that Pop is now kind of like airing this dirty laundry out in public, it feels like we're starting to move to a point of no return. Yeah, I think we've been there for a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it sucks. Well, I mean, we'll discuss more about Kawhi in you know probably two episodes when the Warriors get or when the Warriors knock the Spurs out of the playoffs, and maybe we'll have some more uh, insight then as to why Kawhi hasn't joined the team. Or I mean, I'm honestly curious to see if he's you know game three is in San Antonio. Is he going to be there? I don't know. I mean, look, here's the thing. My perception of Kawhi changes dramatically if he's there mm-hmm. in game three and onwards. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you got to be. You just got to be. Yeah. Look, his teammates had a meeting where they just, was it Manu after the meeting went out and just, he's not coming back. Like, we are preparing ourselves to him not coming back. Right. And they were apparently asking him, please come back. And help us. Mm-hmm. And Tony threw shade like my injury was a lot worse. Yep. And so there is some sort of segment in there where the players are not respecting what Kawhi is doing. I don't think necessarily it's injury related mm-hmm. because everything everyone can have a bad injury. I think it's I think it's Kawhi disengaging himself. That's yeah. just rubbing people the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And I get that. That's the that's the thing that I want to put on Kawhi's shoulder. It's the disengagement. Right. Yep. Don't do that. Like yep. it's fine. If you're injured and even though if you, you disagree with the front office about the injury, show up, be a team player in that sense, and say, you know what, I'm still injured. I know I'm I'm squabbling with with Pop and RC Buford, but you guys are my teammates. I'm gonna root you know, the hell out of you guys while I'm mm-hmm. here. Yep. Totally, totally agree. Yeah, I have no no beef if Kawhi is hurt and doesn't feel right. That's his decision. You know, an athlete's going to know his body better than anyone. But Exactly. Yeah, you're right. The, the 
not being there to support his teammates. And like they've said, we haven't even really like seen Kawhi for the last couple of weeks. That's not great. Like he That's so bad. Yeah, that's yeah, that's like, damning. In theory, he could at least help with like film study and like, hey Kyle Anderson, here's how you're gonna you know, here's some tricks to guarding Kevin Durant. Like the fact exactly. he yeah. doesn't done any of that is not great. So we'll discuss Kawhi more in detail uh in the coming weeks when when the Spurs get by Felicia. Hey everybody, this is Brian from the Glue Guys Nets show on Almighty Baller. Just wanted to talk to you about sponsor and friend of the network, HelloFresh. So I've had a few meal kit delivery services in my day. I, for one, am very excited to be having HelloFresh as a sponsor. So I am a kind of a deadbeat and a pretty disorganized person in my life. And one thing that I very much appreciate about HelloFresh's business was I had left town for a while while they were delivering the package. And I came home two days later after it had been delivered and discovered that it was perfectly preserved. Nothing wrong. Two days in a New York City, insanely hot October for some reason, and it was perfectly preserved. My produce was fine. My meats were fine. Everything was totally fine. Lots of ice packages all over the place, really closely wrapped. I very much appreciated the fact that I wasn't going to have to let my HelloFresh packages go to waste. That felt really good to me. Also an important thing to note, while I am a deadbeat in some ways, I'm not in others. I do actually do a fair amount of cooking. And I really appreciate HelloFresh for this reason, too. Sometimes you get these you know, delivery services and you get all these kinds of off-brand things in the package. It's None of it's really what you're used to. I got King's Hawaiian Rolls with my burgers this time. Like, the brand. The, the, the actual thing. And it, was, and it was such a breath of fresh air to see a, a brand that I was very familiar with, liked a lot, coming inside the package. And it made all the difference for my Juicy Lucy burgers that I whipped up. So all that's to say, HelloFresh is easily my favorite of, of the services. Tons of choices. You got classic style, family style, even vegetarian meals. Lots of benefits to subscribing. Um, you can get delicious, filling meals delivered right to your door every week for less than $10 per serving and free shipping. So for a total of $60 off, that's $20 off your first three boxes, visit HelloFresh.com backslash Almighty60 and enter Almighty60. That's HelloFresh.com backslash Almighty60, A-L-M-I-G-H-T-Y-6-0, and enter Almighty60. It's like receiving six meals free, or up to 50% off three boxes. In the meantime, Mort, uh, Cleveland might be on the precipice of a much earlier by Felicia than... I told you! Yes, you did. So... LeBron was, you know, he had a triple-double in game one. Uh, the Cavs still lost by 18, even though he did. They got absolutely nothing out of Kevin Love. I mean, he had 17 rebounds, but he was nine points on three of eight shooting. J.R. Smith was the second leading scorer for the Cavaliers, 15 points. Jeff Green, 0 of 7. George Hill got injured, uh, seven points on three of seven shooting. Rodney Hood... Nine points on four of eight. Victor Oladipo, meanwhile, had a monster night. 32 points, six rebounds, four assists, four steals. With a Miles Turner sighting, 16 points, eight rebounds, two assists, and a block. And then Lance Stevenson, everyone's favorite LeBron James antagonist, had 12 points, five rebounds, got a couple fouls while defending LeBron, including a technical. Uh, but the Pacers 
won by 18, 98 to 80, mm-hmm. steal home court advantage away from the Cavs. So, Mort, you were all over this, admittedly. As bad as your Sixers prediction was, your Pacers prediction was, or your Cavs Pacers prediction was much better. So, what do you expect heading into game two on Wednesday? Do you think, you know, is this Indiana team a real threat to knock off the Cavs, or was this just like Cleveland? waltzing into the playoff expecting a cakewalk and now LeBron's going to do one of his like 40 point triple double nights well it's either or because obviously this was a wake up call for Cleveland mm-hmm. they, they, they've come into the playoffs with no energy and here's the thing about the Pacers all year long they've played with intensity they've played with energy and they play hard on every possession like mm-hmm. that's why they're they're in the playoffs in the first place. We didn't anticipate this. They just worked their asses off continuously, mm-hmm. and this work ethic just took Cleveland by surprise completely. Yeah. And even if Cleveland comes out and matches that intensity and that work ethic, like I still don't think they're just gonna, you know, kill them. I don't think Cleveland's gonna come out and just murder Indiana by any stretch of the imagination because the effort level from Indiana is still going to be there. Mm-hmm. Now, do I think that Cleveland ultimately will win this series? Probably, because the LeBron factor is still there, and I don't think Kevin Love is going to score eight points again in the game. And I also think that you know role players tend to step up on occasion, and I cannot imagine a... Even if it's a sweep, theoretically, I can't imagine four games in a row where LeBron's teammates just don't show up. That mm-hmm. seems illogical to me. But I'm not putting it past Indiana to come out of this series. I'm also yeah. not putting it past Indiana to lose the next four but <laughs> remain competitive. Right. And that's the, really the thing where I'm at. Regardless of what happens in this series, I think Indiana is going to be competitive in every game until we buy Felicia them. Yeah. I agree with that, and Victor Oladipo said that after Game 1. He was like, look, this is what we've been doing all year, and you guys haven't been paying attention to us, which is fine, but we're not surprised by this performance, so neither should you be. Um, But yeah, shout out to Ty Lue, who has said, first he said the Cavs didn't use their best five-man lineup at all during Game 1, then he backtracked today and said they used it for three minutes. So, good coaching there, Ty. But... What adjustments do you think Lou and company can make heading into game two? Do you think like Jeff Green's going to still be a starter? <laughs> well, I probably wouldn't start Jeff Green at all. Mm-hmm. I, I'm i not sure what type of you know adjustments they should make. Larry Nance potentially coming yeah. in instead, yeah, yeah. I think. I, I think it was wrong for, for Lou to single out LeBron and say, you know, we need him aggressive immediately right. like lebron was the only one really providing something in last yeah. in the last game i mean i think so. his point there was like lebron i don't think took his first shot attempt until two minutes left in the first quarter so i yeah. think he's saying like basically you need to set the tone early be a scorer first like you know, oh okay well then say yeah. that because yeah. that could be misinterpreted right like, he was still aggressive like he was a playmaker i i think the, there's this thing about being aggressive automatically mean score more. I think mm-hmm. that's flawed. Like you can still be hell of aggressive if you are playmaking and rebounding and defending your ass off. Mm-hmm. And I at no point during this game did I see LeBron coast in the same manner that he did in the regular season. But right. I saw every one of his teammates do it. Yeah. So yeah, 
just I, I would not point to LeBron in any way here. Uh, I thought that was weird. I don't think LeBron takes offense though. I just I think he takes it as as motivation, and he's probably gonna drop forty five. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Game two. Um, the thing here with me, what's interesting is when you look at the Pacers, like Bojan Bogdanovic shot mm-hmm. just twenty nine percent from the field. They still beat them by eighteen. If his percentages are just normal, like that's a slaughter. Yeah, I know. It's I expect the Cavs to come out and win game two, but I think I picked the Cavs in either four or five. I feel terrible about that prediction either way. I think this one's going at least six, and I think you're right, Mort. The Pacers are going to put up a damn good fight, even if they don't win the series mm. outright. Yeah, there's no way they're not going to win a home game, right? Yeah, I can't imagine. No, me neither. So let's now move to the other... We're just going to start working down the list in order of the games played. Uh, so let's start with Wizards-Raptors. Big news, Mort. The Raptors won a game one. Hadn't happened mm-hmm. since 2001, so it's legitimately big news. But It is. I mean, I think if you're a Raptors fan, uh, the most encouraging part of that is that Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan did not shoot all that well, all things considered, and you still won. Whereas, you know, in years past, like Lowry and DeRozan combined to shoot 10 of 26. They had 28 points. Like, if that was last year's team... The Raptors were lost by 15. Uh-huh. But instead, you got DeLon Ray, 18 points on 7 of 10 shooting off the bench. You have CJ Miles, 12 points with four three pointers off the bench. You have Pascal Siakam, who had 9 points in only 16 minutes. You know, those three guys outscored the Wizards bench outright. I mean, shit, DeLon Wright and CJ Miles outscored. <laughs> The entire wizard bench. (laughs) So, you know, that was one of our things coming into the series was, would Toronto continue with its bench mob approach? Mm -hmm. Dwayne Casey said yes. He did in game one. And it worked. Well, why shouldn't it? I thought this was so dumb to begin with. Like, let's go away from something that's been working throughout 82 games. That that took us to the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Like, get out of here. That's dumb. Obviously, you keep that alive. That's part of your makeup. That's why you're so good. Look, DeLon Wright coming off the bench for 25 minutes and being second in the team in scoring. You'll have CJ Miles, as you mentioned, with 12. Siakam with 9. Jakob Pertl came in and brought some energy. He didn't have Mm -hmm. the greatest stats, but he had two blocks, and he just provided a shit ton of energy. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's important and then you have Serge Ibaka like that third guy we talked about him he was one of my x-factors like when you have this guy being able to say oh you know what Kyle and DeMar are kind of struggling right now so I need to step up my game and look Mm -hmm. we had a throwback Serge Ibaka game 23 points 12 boards two blocks three threes come on that's that's what this team is all about having different guys being able to step up. Like, in years past, they were just forced to have big games from Tamar and Kyle because that's what they had. Mm-hmm. Now they have more. More yep. is good. <laughs> yeah, ask the Wizards, who got, you know, they got 14 points. Do not points. have more. Yeah, they got yeah. 14 points from Mike Scott off the bench. Aside from that, the rest of their reserve combined for 7 points on 1 of 8 shooting. Yeah. So it was how bad? So more you alluded to the Jody Meek suspension in our last episode, but how big is that for the the Wizards? Man, 
I, I think it's huge. Not having that spacing uh, contribution from Jody and, and just missing like a guy who can come in and get hot and you know have a game where he scores 15, 18 points. That's just killer, losing that component because now you have to stretch the starters minutes or you have to go to a bench guy who is just not in the same league as Jody. And that's a major concern, especially when you're going up against a team that feels like they're 50 deep. Yeah, right. I mean, like, the Wizards starters, all things considered, played pretty well. I mean, John Wall did not have the most efficient game from the floor, 6 of 20, but, you know, 23 points, 15 assists, 4 steals. He was a plus 2 on the night. Markeith Morris was a monster, 22 points, 11 rebounds, 6 assists. You'd like to get a little more out of Otto Porter, but, like, all things considered, I mean, the Wizards starters kept them in that game but then you look at the bench and you just compare it to I mean that was the story of game one the variance in bench production between the two teams so without Meeks you know we mentioned Kelly Oubre as an X factor he only had three points on one of four shooting yeah in 16 minutes you can't go that long with that little yeah Yeah. so like you can reasonably expect more from him probably in game two I don't think Mike Scott has another 7 of 10 shooting night, though. And then you have Sadie Orensky, and that's it. Like, mm. you're not playing Mahinmi or Tim Frazier in this game. So you're going 8 deep against a team. You know, the Raptors played 11 guys in Game 1, and Fred Van Vliet was out. Like, they could go 11 to 12 deep every time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just if you gave Washington just half the bench, like the bench core. Right. Like they would do, they would be so happy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Right. Um, they're so skinny and uh, right now. I mean, I kind of, I was kind of um, weirded out a little bit that they did not go after Derrick Rose. You know, mm. say about Derrick Rose what you will, mm-hmm. and most of it is fair. <laughs> right. But he would have at least provided some level of depth for a team that so mightily needed it. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, yeah, it's it's just a it sucks for the Wizards, but on the other hand, we told you for months that this Raptors team was different. Oh yeah, and we were right. This Raptors team. I mean, this is going to be a good series. I think. I, I'm not saying the Raptors are going to sweep the Wizards by any means. I think this goes at least six because I think you know if John Wall is slightly more efficient, they could have stolen Game One, but. Mm-hmm. Like, this is going to be a good series, but this Raptors team is not folding the way that Raptors teams in years past have. So, shout to Toronto and their fans for uh, finally winning a game one for the first time in more than a decade and a half. And when DeMar and Kyle return. Yeah. That's just going to be even even better. All right, more. let's move to Pelicans Blazers, which was one hell of a nightcap after... Uh, I mean, Spurs Warriors was a terrible start to Saturday, and then mm. Wizards Raptors was fun. Sixers Heat was well fun for one team, but then Blazers Pelicans, man. I told you I wanted to pick the Pelicans. I told you, but I was just too much of a coward. And look what they do: they steal home court. Uh, thirty-five points, fourteen rebounds, four blocks from Anthony Davis. I mean, that's. Not a surprise, right? You you expect Anthony Davis to have monster nights every night, especially yeah. with DeMarcus Cousins gone. I think the the 
I don't even want to call this a surprise, but the notable performances on the Pelican side, Drew Holiday, 21 points, 7 rebounds, 2 blocks, including a big one at the end on Pat Connaughton that really, I mean, that clinched the game. Nico Miritich, 16 points, 11 rebounds, 4 blocks, and then Rajon Rondo had the most quintessential Rajon Rondo game. 6 points, 8 rebounds, 17 assists. I mean, if those four guys... Like, they didn't get much else from anyone. Like, Ian Clark had a decent game off the bench. But when those four guys are firing the way they are... Yeah. Yeah. Like, this Pelicans team really could pull off the upset. Well, I mean, yeah. But you have to... You have to combine that with the fact that Portland just did not shoot all that well. Because at the end of the day, New Orleans put 97 points on the table. Yep. On most nights, that's not enough. That's true. So we can sit here and look at the the performance and the win and go, oh, I mean, these guys contributed if they're on. Well, sure, but you're still going to need more when Dame is going to return to normal. That's true. (laughs) I don't know what happened in game one. And, like, CJ was, yeah, I mean, he didn't shoot great, but he did have 19. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying, 97 points, it's a little bit on the short end. So you need to, like, have an Ian Clark step up a little bit more, maybe an each one more. Mm-hmm. You know, a Darius Miller, whatever. You need to get some more productivity out of the bench yeah. uh, and and the role players for them to maintain the current uh, production that they're on. Yeah, that's totally true. I mean, Damon CJ shot 13 of 41. They combined for yeah. 37 points on the night. That's probably not happening again. But then, like, that, I don't want to say it was just them having an off-shooting night. Like, Drew Holiday, Rajon Rondo, Etwan Moore all played mm. really good defense, and I, you know, I don't expect that to change. I think the X right. factor, which we mentioned coming into the series, is Mo Harkless. He is questionable for Game Two. We don't know if he's going to play or not. But I mean, Evan Turner had 13 points on six of 15 shooting in the starting lineup. It was a four-point game. I mean, the the Pelicans got out to almost a 20-point lead in the third quarter. They were up 13 with five minutes left. Blazers come charging back. You know, it's a four-point game with a minute left. And Evan Turner took a three-pointer. Like, (laughs) not what you want in your late-game situation. And I can't talk because the Sixers took about a 1,000 dickhead shots in game two. So, let me tell you, I know (laughs) the type of offense you don't want. And, you know, you want – it's cliche, but you want – the ball in the hands of your best players at the end of that game. You want to in Dame or CJ taking a three or Yusuf Nurkic getting something easy in the post. So if and when Mo Harkless comes back, whether it's game two or game three, I mean, I, I, that's going to shift Evan Turner to the bench. I think, you know, he's going to be a difference maker in this series, even though he's not going to put up huge numbers. Right. Looking over, you know, the shooting percentages, you said that it was great defense by New Orleans. Mm-hmm. That's fine, but only one player shot above 45%, and that was Ed Davis, 50% mm-hmm. on three and six. I don't think the entire team will have similar games. Yeah. I mean, someone will step up. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic was just three of seven from the field. He did get going from the line, but that's just not enough shots for Nurkic either. Yeah. So... I think Terry Stotts will look at the game several times over and and come back in game two and go, you know what, we need to restructure our, our shot attempts and who mm-hmm. gets those and how they get them because 
these were apparently just not high percentage shots all the way through. So I fully expect Portland to come back in game two and put yeah. on a whooping. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all you need to do is get Anthony Davis in foul trouble, and that's going to be all she wrote for the Pelicans. But All you need to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> easier said than done. <laughs> but I mean, you know, that he's the lifeblood of that team. If, if oh, and yeah. when he's off the court, that's going to change the complexion of the series. But mm. I mean, I, I was very impressed by the Pelicans. I, Regardless, I still expect the Blazers to win this series. I, I think I picked it in six or seven. Um, I mean, I'm not going away. I think I picked it in seven. I'm not going to go away from that. But this has the makings of probably the best first-round series, at least based on what we've seen out of these respective game ones. Um, I'm going to have to politely disagree with you since we're turning the subject over to Boston-Milwaukee. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, another... I mean... Before we we crapped on this series so much, Brian. Like, shout out to just the NBA in general. This was like such an entertaining first weekend of the playoffs, and I hate to be that guy, but like this reminded me of the first weekend of March Madness, except with good basketball. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Boston yeah. Milwaukee. I mean, my God. Like what first... was it you said? This has NBA TV written all over it. <laughs> right, I know. And now it turns out Raptors Wizards is what's on NBA TV on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, that's right. Boston Milwaukee's on TNT and Wizards Raptors. So yeah, I mean our first overtime game in the playoffs. I mean Terry Roger hits a monster three with like point eight seconds left. Chris Middleton's mm. like, nah, son, we're going to overtime. Hits like a half court three pointer. Just. Point five yeah. remaining, oh. and rumor has it that Eric Bledsoe is still skating somewhere in the world. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So, I mean, a couple big storylines from Milwaukee side. A, Giannis is a monster. No surprise mm. there. Chris Middleton continues to be. I, I feel like we should just adopt him as our like the pot the, the son of this podcast. Like we both. I have, thought we had. Yeah, we have stand for him so hard that. Yeah. Now that he is going to get the shine that he deserves this series, he is our baby boy. So I'm only going to refer to him as that from now on. But yes, to your point, Mort, Eric Bledsoe had a miserable game. Uh, nine points on four, 12 shooting, and just lethargic defense throughout, especially on that Roger three at the end. Oh. I mean, so, like, you know, you can do a glass half full version where they got almost nothing out of anyone not named Antetokounmpo, Middleton, or Malcolm Brogdon had 16 points off the bench, and they still forced overtime and only lost by six. Right. But, you know, can you expect that much production? Yes, from Giannis, but, you know, I don't know that Middleton's got another 31.8 rebounds, six assists game in him. No, but... I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if these playoffs proved to, that he could become like a twenty-four five guy. That's true. I mean, I he's he averaged twenty for the year, mm-hmm. and he's doing it in a way that's so under the radar all the time. And it it seems like if he's just a little bit more assertive, that mm-hmm. he would have no issues averaging four more points a game. I mean, love him to death. He's just so efficient. He 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 had it. I think if he did not have a sort of you know off year from the three-point arc he was 36 percent, i th- believe and he usually is around 40 like mm-hmm. we would have seen 
that scoring average just go up. So maybe not 31, 8, 6, 2, and 1, but we'll still see some very hard-nosed play from him. But yeah, I mean, Jabari Parker, yeah. two points, one of five. Tony Snell, one of four in 33 minutes. Like, at this point, I'm just wondering, what's the logic in keeping Tony in for that long? Defense? He's mm-hmm. like, he weighs 50 pounds. <laughs> yeah, but like, look at Jabari Parker. I mean, he was not right. exactly a defensive stalwart in game one. So, yeah. No, I but think. he played like 15 minutes. So, you right, know. Right, right, right. Yeah, I would assume it's just it, Snell is like a low usage guy. So it's fine to have him next to a Giannis and a Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe because he's not going to really need many shots. You just, mm. you know, if he knocks down a couple corner threes, he's done his job and plays good defense, especially against a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown. Um, but on the Boston side, Mort, I mean, Al Horford had a great game. Jason Tatum had a great game. Terry mm. Rogier. Not super efficient, but still 23 points. Had that big three-pointer at the end. Jalen Brown was good. Mar- Marcus Morris was good. Both Morris brothers. Shout out to both yeah, of them for yeah, having the twins, a good... Yeah, the twins delivered. But they got nothing else from Aaron Baines, Shemi Ojale, Greg Monroe, Shane Larkin. You know, it feels almost like a lot of that was like the best you could hope for out of a lot of these Boston guys. So the fact that the yeah. Bucks kept it, you know, pushed it to overtime... It makes me, you know, part of it, I feel like, is just, you know, I'm subscribed to the Brad Stevens is a wizard theory. And, like, we talked about going into this series that, you know, the in-game adjustments and the game-to-game adjustments are going to favor Boston just because Stevens is probably going to have a better pulse of that than Joe Prunty, who I'm assuming is going to, you know, basically (laughs) stick with the same system. Um, But... How do you feel about this series moving forward? Are you who did who did you pick the you picked the Celtics in seven? I don't even remember. I, all I remember was that this series could go to either team, and it could go as a sweep or it could go as game seven. We had no uh-huh. idea. Right, 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 right. So I don't even remember who I picked right now because it was like I don't know. Yeah, it it's so up in the air, and I still feel that just for the reasons you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I mean, look. He, here is Al Horford taking 14 free throws, which apparently hadn't happened in, like, ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, Terry Rozier coming out and burning 23 points. Marcus Morris coming off the bench with 21-7. Yep. I mean, yeah, that's sort of their top level, right? Yeah. At this point. It feels so like it. I would agree. Meaning that for Boston to win this game, you had to have your main core of available players max out their potential or max out their their productivity and then you had milwaukee just with three guys really as the main contributors hanging around Mm -hmm. that would suggest that milwaukee is going to take over this series Mm -hmm. but you just don't know because milwaukee's been so up and down all year long and they've done some weird things that what i was surprised to see from milwaukee was they they just did not recognize their matchup initially. Like, yeah. they got a lot better as the, as the game progressed. Mm-hmm. But it was like they came into the game almost with a defeatist mentality. Like, right. they didn't they didn't really box out. They didn't play aggressive defense. And then suddenly something clicked, and they just started playing well. Yeah. And I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's a weird series, but 
coincidentally, also, so far, the most entertaining one. And I love the fact that we don't know anything <laughs> after game one. We still don't know jack shit yeah. about this series, and that's wonderful. Yeah, I know. I have no idea what to expect moving forward, aside from I'm going to be more entertained this than, or with this series than I thought I would. Yep. I mean, we, we said it coming in. Talent-wise, Milwaukee destroys Boston, but... Brad Stevens is going to gut out at least one or two wins. He already did one, so we're halfway to that prediction. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I had Celtics in seven. I don't feel great about it. You know, I could easily see the Bucks coming back and winning game two and, you know, knock him off in five or six. But, frankly, the only real hope I have is that this does go seven. It goes to overtime or double overtime every game. So we can just <laughs> wear them out a little bit. You know, if the Sixers make it to the next round, I would like a tired opponent, please. It's it's weird to me that either Milwaukee or Boston is going to make the second round. I know. It's, yeah. It just, it's such an unfortunate draw for Toronto. Because yeah. the other side of that bracket is so not necessarily easy. I mean, all four of those teams are good. But, like, I think Toronto would have been a lock to make the Eastern Conference Finals had it been on the other side. And now... Oh, yeah. You know, it, whoever it pick draws in round two, Indiana or Cleveland, it's not going to be super easy. So, nope. Sorry, Toronto. All right, boy, let's move to your baby boy, Donnie Mitchell and the Utah Jazz against the Thunder. Uh, Donnie played pretty damn well, twenty-seven points, ten rebounds. Unfortunately, this is my this is me being surprised. Brian. <laughs> All right. Well, he got hurt, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, he has a left foot contusion, so the Thunder won 116-108. to 108. We don't know the status as of yet for Game 2. Uh, Jazz said they were going to reevaluate him today, Tuesday, and release an update. So, fingers crossed he will play. I mean, he got hurt and came back into the game, which hopefully suggests he will. I mean, x-rays came back yeah. negative. I think he underwent an MRI. So we're just kind of in wait-and-see mode. More if Mitchell is forced to miss any time whatsoever. Is that all she wrote for the Jazz? Oh, yeah. Like, what do you want? Like, Ricky Rubio taking another <laughs> 18 shots in a game? Right. Yeah. Didn't really work out that well in game one. No, it sure didn't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Look, this has been the problem with the Jazz for, for well, since February, since the trade. Mm-hmm. They just do not have enough scoring. We've talked about it at length. Them them getting 108 in the playoffs is a borderline miracle. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm not really <laughs> that confident in their ability to do anything. And, like, Alec Burks scoring 10 points in, what, two minutes? Two minutes, yeah. That was ridiculous. Like, but maybe that's the guy that they bring in for, for game two to inject mm-hmm. some offense. I. Look, people have talked about Ricky Rubio at length all year long. He's so improved. And yeah, I I get it. But he's not improved as a, oh, I can take the team on my back as mm-hmm. a scorer sort of way. Mm-hmm. Like, he's improved in terms of the fabrics of the team, sure. Yeah. But I still do not want him to take 18 shots in a game. Yeah, that is completely true. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, Alec Burks could be an issue. An option. Dante Axum played pretty damn well. Oh yeah, he did. That's fair. Yeah. Um, so that maybe that's an option as well. I mean, probably Burks. You know, if Mitchell is forced to miss time, I bet Burks is the starting two guard there. 
Um, but then I bet you see more of Crowder, more of Exum off the bench as well. But it, Thunder also did not emerge unscathed from uh, from Game 1. We don't know the extent, but Paul George apparently did not go through contact in practice on Tuesday. Um, yeah. I think it was a hip contusion or something like that. So, so the two best players of Game 1. <laughs> right. Oh. Might both miss Game 2. I mean, George has yeah. said he expects to play, so... Fingers crossed, he will. But yeah, I mean, 36 points on 13 of 20 shooting, 8 of 11 from three-point range. He called himself Playoff P afterward, which was fun. That was a, mm. <laughs> a, a great nickname that I had not heard from him, but it is a reminder that he does tend to do pretty damn well in the playoffs. I mean, Russ, was, it, it was like the quintessential Russ game. It was yep. you know a bunch of points, rebounds, assists. On uh, inefficient shooting, 10 of 25, five turnovers, a minus one on the night. You didn't get much from Carmelo Anthony. Uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, probably more than you could have reasonably expected based on how he finished the season. Steven Adams also, I'm, I'm, I haven't heard any updates on him, but he seemed to injure his right arm late, or at least like the telecast was very focused on that. Like he, mm. he dunked with his right arm and seemed to be kind of like holding it to his side a little bit and seemed, you know, they, they kept saying like, Oh, he's not moving his right arm at all. And then Russ would like throw him the ball and he would catch it with both hands. So I'm assuming he's fine, but yeah, something worth monitoring, uh, heading into game two more. Were you surprised at the outcome of this one? And does that affect your, Series outlook moving forward. Let's assume Mitchell and George are both fine. All right. No, then then no. Um, I kind of expected that Oklahoma would take at least one of their two home games mm-hmm. initially to open the series, and it just turned out to game to be game one. And if both are healthier for game two, I would. I I can't sit here and predict a win for Utah, but I can definitely uh, predict equal intensity mm-hmm. equal try-heartedness <laughs> because good lord i mean they were active this was not one of those games where they just got you know handedly beat right if you know what i mean i mean yeah. they were there throughout yeah. the course of the game i mean this was pretty equal um george just going bananas made the difference and i don't expect him to hit for 36 and eight threes again <laughs> right so when the law of averages just kind of Applied, I I would assume that Utah would come out on top. You can argue, you can apply the same logic to Donovan Mitchell. He's not going to finish up with twenty seven and ten. Yeah, the twenty seven part might be true, because I think that's probably where he's going to be at for the next ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, the the Thunder is a great. They they have a great defense. Mm-hmm. Utah has a greater defense. Yep. The thing with with the Thunder is they just have that extra bit of offense. That Utah doesn't, yeah. Which, for many, is the major di- uh, the, the major difference. I still think that the inconsistency factor of Russell Westbrook and Carmelo being this old Carmelo right. is eventually going to be a net negative for them. Yeah. And also, it seems like they have this idea that it's my turn, your turn, my turn, and I just don't think that's winning basketball. But maybe that's just me being a purist. I will say this: if Billy Donovan. It keeps imitating Tom Thibodeau in terms of his minutes. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. That's probably not a good thing. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, they got very little. I mean, Alex Abrines hit a couple threes. He had 11 points on the night. A couple big ones late in the game. Yeah. But aside from that, four points from Jeremy Grant, two from Raymond Felton, and that is it. So mm-hmm. 17 points overall compared to Utah, which got 34 off of its bench and played. I mean, um, Quinn Snyder, uh, you know, had Nito in there for two minutes, Jarebko in there for four, uh, Udo in there for two minutes. So he really only played eight guys. Uh, but Jay Crowder got 28, Royce O'Neal got 20, XM had 18. I mean, the highest number of minutes on that team was 35 from Gobert and Mitchell, whereas four of OKC's starters had at least 37. So, yeah, you do wonder if fatigue will be a factor, especially later in the series. They're lucky in the sense that you know, they've got a two-day break from Game 1 to Game 2. It looks like they have another one from Game 2 to Game 3. So it might not be as much of an issue. And maybe that's Billy Donovan's line of thought is, you know, these guys, they have two days to recover between games. Screw it. Let's play them 37. Like, mm. this is, you know, that's the appeal of this OKC team. Like, their bench is very inconsistent. Their starting lineup is excellent. Let's lean on our strength and just limit the number of minutes we have without a Russell Westbrook and a Paul George and a Steven Adams on the floor. So, yeah, I, I you know, I picked Jazz in six. If Donnie Mitchell misses any time, I am jumping ship on that prediction. Uh, I, I'm nervous. I'm nervous either way. I mean, yeah, I'm not feeling too hot about the our prediction either. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the Thunder played better than I expected. They did, and... Here's the thing that I just realized in game one when I was watching the game. Mm-hmm. I keep having this idea that Jay Crowder will suddenly become the Jay Crowder. <laughs> I mold. know, me too. And I'm sort of realizing, realizing that he won't be. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that's just, that's not going to do Utah any favors. Yeah. Completely agree there. Let's wrap things up now, Mort, with a look at the Rockets-Timberwolves series. Surprisingly competitive game. Uh, you know, the four regular season contests between these teams, Houston won 4 nothing. They won three of those games by 18 points each. They won the fourth by nine, and it was like a 129-120 to game. So the fact that they only scored 104, I mean, in those four regular season contests, they scored 116 in each of those games, and we highlighted the Timberwolves' mediocre defense as a big concern coming in against the Rockets' second-ranked offense. You know, the fact they only got 104, it was really just the James Harden show. He had 44, the rest of the team had 60. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's that's the glass-half-full version well, for the Timberwolves. Oh, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. It was the James harden Clint Capella show. show. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, he, he had a monster night. Um, but Chris Paul, I mean... You know, he's been dealing with a hip issue in recent weeks. Only had 14 points on 5 of 14 shooting. Six turnovers, including a big one toward the... You know, I, I got some, like... What was that series? I don't remember what year it was, but it was when... Uh, it was Clippers OKC, where he had a big turnover, I think, at, like, the end of Game 5. And that ended up swinging the oh, series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Very similar situation here, and then he, you know, they were down, they're up three. He turns the ball over with less than 10 seconds left. Jimmy Butler gets off a game tying three point attempt, but it misses. So the Houston Rockets escape with the 104 101 victory. So, I mean, 
if you're the Timberwolves, you're looking at it and you say, you know, we, we lost by three. Jimmy Butler had 13 points. Carl Anthony Towns had eight. And we, <laughs> you know, we only lost by three. That's great. Like, this is more competitive of a series than we expected coming in. If you're the Rockets, you say, we're not shooting 10 of 37 from three-point range. Again, this series. Like, I looked it up. That was... They only had five nights during the regular season where they shot worse than that from three. So, you know, all in all likelihood, Chris Paul is not going one of six. Eric Gordon is not going one of seven. P.J. Tucker is not going one of five. Terrific Reese is not going zero of four. Gerald Green's not going zero of three. Mm. One of those guys is going to get cooking more than they did in oh, game yeah. one. Oh, yeah. Also... Derek Rose and Jamal Crawford are not combining for 31 points again. <laughs> and even if they are, that's probably not a good thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. So how do you how do you feel about this series after seeing what happened in game one? Kind of nervous about Carl Anthony Towns a little bit. Like we've we've been we've been hard on Towns on this podcast this season because he's not improved mm-hmm. uh defensively. But we've also heard a lot of rumblings, you know, on NBA Twitter that Touts is just not that into the whole team and the whole season. Like, he's sort of disengaged himself a little bit, mm-hmm. and he's not having fun, <clears throat> which just lends credence to the fact that his game is being affected by it. Like, he took a step down this year. Overall, his, his development didn't really pick up where we expected it to. Now he's in the playoffs, and he has an eight-point game. In the first ever playoff game that he in his career, where he should be motivated, where he should be hungry to just go out and go, my first playoff game, I'm gonna drop thirty, and then he comes out with eight and look passive. I'm mm. not not digging it, Brian. Yeah, I know. And, and you know, to your point about Capella, like a lot of that goes to him. Capella played great defense on him the whole night, so. Mm. That's a something that Tibbs is going to have to find an adjustment for, and maybe it's just feeding Towns and telling him to be more aggressive. But, yeah, I mean, not especially a great sign when your leading scorers on the night are Andrew Wiggins, who took a team-high 15 shots, and then yeah. Derek Rose, who was second with 16 points on 7 of 14 shooting. I mean, Rose had more shots than Jimmy Butler and Carl Towns. Jamal Crawford had more shots than Carl Anthony Towns. That's that's not great. No, I you know I know like Tibbs, we we said you needed to lean into your bench a little bit more. Um, maybe maybe shift that a little bit, and yep. you know Tyus Jones only got seven minutes. Gorgie Jang only got eight minutes. Bielica only got six. Yeah, I'm um, done with that. I'm done with that. That's so dumb. Like, that is just yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know. I, I, Derek Rose played well. All things considered, that was one of his probably his better games as a Timberwolf. Mm. It makes me nervous that you know Teague had 15 points, nine rebounds, eight assists in 29 minutes. Like, why are you going away from him? Just it, this fascination with Derek Rose, and we said it right when he signed with the Timberwolves. We were like, this is gonna come back to bite them because Tibbs still has this fascination with Derek Rose, and it you know. You've got a, you have two more productive guards, Teague and Tyus Jones, and you're gonna lean that heavily on Derrick Rose. There we it is. agreed that Tyus Jones is gonna request a trade this summer, right? I hope so. 
I mean, if they re-sign Rose, he should. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to re-sign Rose. I mean, of course they're going to re-sign Rose. Who are we kidding? But, yeah, I mean, like, we said... I just it... want Tyus Jones gone now. Well, we said it coming into the series. The the lineup, yeah. the starting lineup, without Teague and with Tyus Jones, had the best five-man net rating this regular season. I think it was among uh, five-man groups with at least 250 minutes. Like, that unit is hyper-productive. And mm-hmm. Tyus Jones played seven minutes. <sighs> I I don't think Tips knows that. And yeah. I don't think, even if he did, I don't think he'd care. And I, that's really the problem, right? Right. I, I, I don't, don't disagree. It's just, man, it's... You know, no, it's inexplicable. Yeah, like, I, I feel bad that we crap on Tips so much, but, like, you know, I, I'm sure there's stuff that goes behind the scenes, and he's... You know he's still a good coach. He, like, he took the number one seed, a sixty-five win team, down to the wire. Like, where I think it's a frustration that like you could be so damn good if you just fix these two nagging things about you: your rotations and your minutes distribution. I guess they go hand in hand. Hand in hand, yeah. But like, oh, what? It's just and it's so embrace your three-point shot a little bit more as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's very frustrating. So, mm. do you think the Timberwolves have a chance in this series more? Or do you think... Oh, no. No, <laughs> you're still sticking. I think I picked... I'm trying to see. I think I picked the Rockets in... I mean, I obviously picked the Rockets. I picked them in five. Okay, good. I didn't pick a clean sweep. Warriors, Warriors I picked as a clean sweep, which looks like that might still happen. Cavs I picked as a clean sweep. Not so great on my part, but I'm sticking with Rockets in five. How about you? I think I took Rockets in five as well, just because I thought, you know, Jimmy would have have one of his games. Mm-hmm. I just I don't remember if I took him five or six. Regardless, I I think they'll win a game. Yeah, based off Jimmy alone and and the fact that Carl Anthony Towns is just gonna, I don't know, be present mm-hmm. at some point. Um, I'm also not going to put it past them to 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 get the smackdown and yeah. being run off the court with a sweep. I mean, yeah. look, 10 of 37. Yeah. That's really the key stat here. Yep. That's not going to happen again. The next no. time they take 37, or they're going to make like 18. Yep. Something like that. Some yep. insane number. And Minnesota is going to be standing there looking and going, oh. We're down by 21 all of a sudden. <laughs> right. Oh, it's 36. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah, I mean, that that was a thing we highlighted coming into the series. Houston was first in three-point makes and attempts. Minnesota was 30th in both. When mm-hmm. when those numbers even out, I mean, 8 of 23 from Minnesota, yeah, it's probably what you can expect every night. 10 of 37, as you said, even if that's 15 of 37, you know, that's a three-point game turns into an eighteen-point game pretty quickly. Even if it's if even if it's twelve of thirty-seven, that's an additional six points yeah. right there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Look, they are gonna they're gonna win this series pretty easily. Yeah, and if it's a gentleman sweep, great for Minnesota. They have something to put in their, you know, in their back for next season. Mm-hmm. But if not, <laughs> it shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. Yep. Yep, I completely agree. So we'll see what happens. We are going to 
record again later this week once we get a little more flavor from each of these series. So stay tuned there. In the meantime, please follow us at, at the NBA Pod on Twitter. You can find our handles in our bio, so give us a follow as well. And be nice to me if the Sixers do not get Joel Embiid back for Game 3. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We'd love any feedback. We're being hosted this year on the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. So follow them on Twitter at AlmightyCasts. Until next time, I'm Brian Teporek, and I was joined, as always, by Morton Jensen. Have a good one, Mort. You too, Brian. I'm looking forward to seeing Philly beat Miami. God damn it. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.